You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 105. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. We talk about pop culture, nostalgia, movies, music, theme parks, whatever catches our fancy. My name is Rotten Rob, and as always, I'm joined by Gangrenous Greg. Yo. Hello. And Jimmy. Hello. <laughs> and we'd like to welcome tonight's very special guest, author, screenwriter, part-time herpetologist. That makes it sound like you study herpes. Joe Ballerini. <laughs> Reptiles. Thanks for having me. And Rob, it is. It is herpes. You might want to get yourself to a doctor immediately. Excellent. I friend. shall do so. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. Always Welcome a pleasure. Back. Always a pleasure. Number three, I feel like um, I feel like Tom Hanks on SNL right now. You know, just coming back in for the for the five club. Let's shoot for number five, actually. Yeah. This week, we've got Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, Book 3, yeah, yeah. Mission to Monster Island, and the 80s classic, Monster Squad. Even better. It's a little bit of delightful 80s horror. It's kind of Goonies plus the Lost Boys, which equals box office success. No, I believe it was minus box office success, sadly. That was no. neg- it was negative box office success, yeah. Greg, you shut your whore mouth. I am being honest. <laughs> it makes me sad because it should have box office success. It it really should have. It really should have. There should have been like five more Monster Squad movies made. But really alas. Should've. Nope. And after we get done, we'll come up with the week's top five list relating to our topics. Spoilers. We warn you about spoilers. We are talking about a book that just came out. And... A movie that's been out for, what, 30 years? 20 years? 30, something like that. It was 87, yeah, I think. Yeah, 1987. Yeah. So, listen with your own discretion. We won't spoil the, we won't spoil the book because the person that wrote the book will murder us. Light murder. Not too bad. Yeah. You can spoil it. PG-13 murder. Fun murder. The fun murder. So, news. Any news, guys? I I would like to acknowledge, because I forgot to mention it on the last show, but you told me about it. We keep mentioning stuff and talking about stuff in our podcast that that keeps coming up in regular news. What was it we talked about the other day that just got greenlighted for a sequel? Oh, it, well, the you, one that was... You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't remember, but I, I, I knew there was something. What was What was the last one? Do you remember? I don't know. This is riveting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, either way, there actually was a little one. I was I briefly mentioned that I was listening to a book by the about the Black Crows, and like within like two days, they announced that they were getting back together to play. Although, yeah, not... the single worst band in the history of all bands. Whatever. Wow. That's Counting Crows is the single worst band. No, the Black Crows are awful. You. Hey, little thing, let me help you out. 
I, I think it's just because they're too hard for you to handle, Jimmy. Ooh, Rob <laughs> with the strong music thing. I got that reference. He did, he did. I don't make very many music references. You make all of our music references. <laughs> he says he doesn't, weird. but he, he does them all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, they did release the list of Disney Plus shows. Uh, there are some standouts. Obviously, The Mandalorian, The Lady and the Tramp live action, which I am excited about, despite the most me not liking the you live action be. stuff. Gargoyles, the original show. Nice. Hannah Montana, so Rob has oh, something no. to watch alone no. in his bathroom. Phineas and Ferb, all of the episodes. The Simpsons, which I totally forgot was going to be on there because of the Fox merger. And X-Men, the animated series, too, like the original, with its awesome theme song. Black Cauldron, Rob, who's not listening. Underrated. No, I am, I am listening. Underrated. They're actually releasing the Black Cauldron? Yeah, it's been in the vault for years. And Black but Cauldron not Song be. of the South. That's the one that they will never, ever release. Yeah. And oddly enough, um, I have heard that the NAACP has come out and said that they would not challenge a release of Song of the South. But Disney has just said, yeah, no, we're, we're not opening that can of worms. It's, it's not coming. Disney is like, what's Song of the South? Smart move, <laughs> Smart move Disney. Smart move. Yeah. Uh, all the Disney afternoon shows, Darkwing Duck, Dark Tales, Rescue Rangers. The Hocus Pocus is actually – Hocus Pocus is going to be released on it, but it's also getting a sequel. So there's a giant list. It's like 300 things. I'm not going to obviously list them all, but the th- that's the one big news. There's another part of this, but uh, 20th Century Fox movies, which is like Alien, and I'm sure you guys know a lot mm-hmm. of them. If it has the big thing with the 20th Century Fox logo at the beginning and the lights and all that, they are not going to be allowed to be screened by Disney. So if you were thinking, like, oh, it'd be really cool to see Alien in the original print in the theater, that's not going to happen anymore, which I think is interesting. And by um, interesting, you mean shitty? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what they're going to be doing with it, because that means that actually the – so Fathom Events is going to do an Alien show some sometime in October – I guess it's got to be in the next few days, and that will be the last 20th Century Fox older movie that's going to be screened. That was already done. Okay. Well, there you go. So I don't know if they're – because it's not going to be on the streaming system either because they're not doing anything R-rated. I'm still looking forward to it because I've heard they're going to have stuff like Gummy Bears and all the Disney Afternoon stuff, Darkwing Duck, DuckTales, Tailspin, all that's all the stuff I grew up with. I will do an admission on the podcast, just because Joe is here. My first crush, Princess Leia. My second crush was that yellow gummy bear. <laughs> Sunny. <laughs> yeah, she was adorable. Wow. I also didn't know what a crush was. I was like, you know, six. But you this felt funny. You felt funny when you watched the gummy bear. I did. can't wait for the Lady and Tramp live action film. <laughs> I can. I can wait so much that I probably won't go see it after that whole Lion, Lion King debacle. What a crock of crap that was. Well, Greg obviously watched that for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on, I think. You're a big nature guy, <laughs> right, Greg? <laughs> he is. I am. Love nature. <laughs> Animals. Furry things. Mice. <laughs> gerbils. People in gerbil costumes. 
people in hamster costumes. Gerbils mm-hmm. in people costumes. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be at least 100 gerbils to fill up a people costume. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's not on the notes, but I do have... Oh, it was Night of the Creeps too. Oh, yep, it was. They are making a Night of the Creeps too. Thank you. Very prompt. Wow. Uh, good research. good research on the Night of the Creeps 2. Night of the Creeps 1 is terrific. Mm-hmm. It really just, was. It was a lot of fun. We just uh, watched that uh, two episodes ago. I think. Almost as good as the Midnight Hour from 1985 released on ABC as a uh, two-hour special. You should check that out. I really want to know what you think about it. If you get any time. I can't wait. It looks good, actually. And like I said, it's one of those things that's that's like Disney Sunday night movie quality, so it's not anything that would be too terrible for kids, depending upon how little your kids are. Yeah. Because there is some werewolves involved and various zombies and vampires and stuff, so. Thank you for turning me on to it. Yeah, there's a great, uh, there's, there's a great sort of like backlog of those old, TV made for movie horror films that are, are pretty uh, watchable for kids. And Wes Craven made a great one about like a weird Stepford Wives in a country club. I watched that one recently. That one was terrific. It's called The Invitation oh. to Hell. You wouldn't you wouldn't nice. think that it, from the title that it's kid appropriate, but it's pretty good. It's basically like a Stepford Wives weird country club and growing up in Boca Raton, you um, you <laughs> yeah. definitely you definitely know something's something's going on in those country clubs. I wrote that down. I'll have to check that out. We saw you write that down. So I, it's not on the notes here, but I do have a question for Joe. This is going to be our snap decisions question. That's which, if you know, that is snap a random question that you answer fairly quickly, minute uh, or less. Yes. <laughs> Netflix released one of their shows doing it more episodic, where instead of it all coming out at once for bingers, it comes out week after week after week. I think it was like the Great British Baking something, Um, but it it had all been recorded already. So do you prefer, as someone that has created content, uh, the binging model where everything comes out all at once or week to week to week? That's a very good question, Greg. Um, I think for things that are serialized and things that are sort of like a big movie but chopped up into ten parts, it's great to sort of just binge through. I do think that's a really rewarding thing to do. For some reason, there's there's a really fun um, experience when you're watching something and you're like, oh my god, I've got to watch another one, and you're still awake. There's just something really great about that. Um, Then there's another fun thing where it is just a controlled release of information, and it's week to week, and you just all have to go and gather and at one particular time, and you know that that episode is coming out. Um, I think both are pretty special. Both are pretty unique, Um, and I'm, I'm down for either or. You know, I don't, I think it's crazy now 
that we do have the binging capability because I think everyone on this podcast remembers a time when you did have to wait and uh, waiting made it special because that whole week at school or at work, you would talk about it and the anticipation would build and it would just snowball into an event watching series. Um, but then there's some series that you're just like, this is just awesome just to kind of keep blasting through. Like, you know, I think a lot of TV now is made for more of a slow burn, kind of a, a gradual reveal of information. It's not so big and eventized like uh, Game of Thrones or, I don't know, whatever awesome show used to not be uh, binged. But, you know, I think TV now is sort of like a slow movie. So I do think binging is pretty pretty good for that. Let's jump into our topics here. Let's get these topics. Far away from whatever Rob was saying before I hit record. So let's talk... We're going to start off here with the baby's baby, the babysitter's guide to monster with hunting the babies. book three. All right, mission to Monster Island. That's right. Who read it? Jimmy has finished it. I have started it. Nice, good. You're on the mission. Great. I finished it on the way back from London. Actually, God bless you. God bless you, so, Jimmy. Thank you. You know, sir. you know, Jimmy did in London. It's actually the first book he read after getting engaged. What? Yeah. First yeah, of all, I sure did. How, did you go to London to get engaged? Is your wife from London? Uh, no. We went to visit um some family, and I, yeah, it had been the plan for a while to uh, do it there in in Greenwich Park, and though she tried like hell to ruin those plans, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was beautiful, and uh, we we couldn't be more excited. So, oh, congratulations! Oh, yeah. thank you so much. That's Appreciate great. that. My wife is my wife is from London, so I've is been, she? I've been to England a lot. Yes, oh, which part? East London, Wanstead. Wanstead. Yeah, we always go to sort of you know proper London, central mm. London, I suppose. And it's, gotcha. it's yeah, it's gorgeous. It's great. It's amazing. Wonderful place. Congratulations on getting engaged. That's a beautiful. Thank you. Thing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Nobody wants to hear this, but how'd you do it? Greenwich Park. No, but what'd you do? <laughs> um, how? Greenwich Park. I, I, I went to Greenwich found Park. A, found a really pretty spot, and uh, I had... Finished some... off a plate of bangers and mash. It was delicious. Yep. No. I uh, hijacked a swan, and I put I a had, ring in its throat. I had, had her sister on, on it, and we had a, we had a code set up um for for you know just picked out a spot and that was really pretty and did the traditional thing went down on a knee and uh got it all on video uh so that's beautiful yeah are you gonna ask her again did she say yes she said to ask again in a couple of months <laughs> she's like paused oh that's very sweet congratulations and then you're like you know what to celebrate book three, Mission yep. to Monster Island. Exactly. What better way to celebrate? What better way to celebrate? Uh, that's great. Now we, we've got, I've got the blurb here in mm -hmm. my notes. Uh-huh. Have you actually, did you have to write the blurb or does someone else write the blurb? They usually write the blurb and then I kind of tweak it a little bit. Gotcha. But they write the blurb for sure. 
because it they, they, that blurb always makes it sound a little younger. Kids, monsters, let's go to an island. Internet troll, trash monsters, and our fear of screwing up. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like, I was very adamant about putting the in, uh, the the internet trolls in there. That's my favorite part of the book. Spoil, that, uh, spoiler alert: they go to now, they, they find about yeah. internet trolls. I was about to say that. Um, that just I know people like that, and and I'm sure we'll get into it. But that also was uh, was one of my favorite parts of the book. Uh, Greg, you'll be very happy to know that internet troll design inspired by. Krang. Greg. Oh, really? <laughs> by being yes. inspired by Krang. Like basically That's kind of what I pictured. Yeah, internet trolls are kids that have been spent way too much time behind the computer, you know, making horrible comments and they're, trolling. They're, bones have turned into Mountain Dew itself. Yeah, and so they basically just look like pods <laughs> with like gooey eyes and just sort of like little tentacles that just type on the keyboards. Yeah, I actually pictured uh, like Meatwad from um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah. Oh, man. But more fleshy colored. Fleshy and meaner. A lot of acne. Yeah, a lot of of acne. Just big eyes. Mean all the time. Just all the time, but they don't even know why they're mean anymore. They've just lost. They've lost themselves. Kids, do you understand the metaphors we're making here? Mm hmm. Because the whole thing is essentially, the whole thing is essentially, you know, that Kelly is being trolled throughout the book. Like even the, I think the opening is just like a really mean comment that she reads on Instagram about herself, mm-hmm. and so it's just sort of playing with her psychology about, oh, is she a good person? Is she a bad person? Is she cool? Is she not cool? And it's ultimately find out that it's a monster that's using these internet trolls to really break down her self confidence and to. Um, destroy her character Mm -hmm. and everything she believes about herself. And that's why you shouldn't read the comments ever. Never, never, never read the comments comments or the internet. I think I just think at this point, just why ever read the internet? I think it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's improving us as a species. Uh, It's interesting. This is, we usually do, you know, a lot of fart jokes here. But we went down jokes. a very different path here, and one of my wife's colleagues has done a lot of research on children's self-esteem, mm. and it has bottomed out pretty much at the exact same time that the percentage of people with social media has outweigh, outweighed the people without it. Mm. And it's there's also been, and on a sad thing, we've also we also talk about this a little bit. You know, call someone for help if you have a problem. But on the, it's also led to a lot more like suicides and people not being able to get away from the people they don't like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because it's one thing to be like, oh, that kid was a jerk to me in school, mm. and then you go home and you're like, oh wow, now everyone really is like blowing up that kid who's a jerk to me and likes all that stuff. That kid who was a jerk to me. So you're like, it's like. It's just like the news now where you're like, that's why we don't need it 24 hours. And now like mm-hmm. all of your social life is going to be 24 hours. That sucks if you're a kid. Well, yeah. and I, I also think that the way that we're raising our kids nowadays has a little bit to do with it as well. I mean, we are totally not preparing our kids to face real life. 
everybody in real life is not going to be nice to you and to teach and to teach them that, you know, everybody gets a participation award. It's okay for trying, you know, that's great. Yeah, that's good enough. It No, it doesn't work that way in real life. And people are going to be mean to you. Mm. You need to be able to handle that and deal with that. Mm. Yeah. Don't be such a wimp. Well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, to, to an extent, but yeah, I mean, but teaching kids that, you know, everything's okay and and it's it's their problem if they're not nice to you and everybody should be nice is is not really how the world works and no. kids are unprepared to deal with that when they encounter it one of my favorite things to do uh with theo he's not even three yet but he goes to preschool but it's like oh he wants to bring a toy to school and we're like do you want to share that at school because if you bring it like kids are going to want to play with it do you want to share it and he's like no. And I'm like, well, let's not bring that to school because like you bring it to school, kids are going to be tearing at that thing. And mm-hmm. it's nice to be like, you don't have to share, but it's knowing what you want to share because kids are all going to be clawing at it, man. So you got to watch, you got to mm-hmm. watch your stuff, dude. Watch your toys. Kids are coming after it. That is my favorite thing. He's like, no, I don't want to share this. And you're like, cool. <laughs> you don't fine. have to share this. You don't have to share this mm. at all. Yeah. Joe, did you ever think in your wildest dreams that I would tell you that you have something uh, very much in common with George Corpse Grinder Fisher, the singer of Cannibal Corpse? No. <laughs> I'm not no. sure where he's going with this. Please no. elaborate, Jimmy. Heard Corpse Grinder in an interview, uh, also a very, very strong uh, advocate against internet trolls. Mm. Um, so you and him are one and the same. Dude, is there people who like internet trolls? Uh, at this point, isn't that kind of like saying no, you guys yeah. both have brown hair? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we I hate just wanted to make a connection to you. I appreciate the Grindr. connection. Yeah. That guy's great. That's all. Yeah, loves trolls. I can't wait for them to troll us after this, though. Loves shopping. You know they can. I'm never going to read the damn comments. Well, it just all plays into no, like internet trolls and like misinformation in the sort of time that I've we're in with. I don't even know what's real anymore. With like you can mm. put you could put Tom Cruise's face on anyone's face, and you can be like, oh, that was Tom Cruise there. I mean, we're entering such a wild time the, of the deep fake stuff is a little, yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah. Of not knowing what's real. I think especially because everyone's so good at taking pictures. Like everyone is probably mm-hmm. really, really, really adept at taking a good shot now. So mm-hmm. we're all used to taking fake pictures. And so everything isn't really real anymore. Hey, you mean oh. with like filters and yeah. The big sixteen-year-old the... girls have puppy noses and ears. Yeah, and and me too. And that know? drives Greg absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my thing. If only they were a yellow gummy bear. <laughs> let's that? let's go back to the book here. We we almost got we almost got serious for a moment. <laughs> almost. We were venturing into the babysitter's world for a third time. We are. We're so so, how, what was that like? Was that what was that like venturing in? Uh, it was great because um, this time I knew the characters and I knew who they were and where I wanted them to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got to have a lot more fun with it. I got to have a lot more fun with them going on this wild ride. I mean, you guys are huge theme park fans as I am. Yeah. So 
I think in the writing of it, I think I was like, I really just, I would love for them to go on a wild ride to a, the world's craziest, most irresponsible theme park. So, uh, so they did. And that's where they, that's where they ended up. They sort of end up in like Pinocchio's pleasure Island where, you know, kids can run amok and go absolutely crazy. Uh, but sort of for, for a price, you know, the sort of price of wildness and recklessness and irresponsibility. Kind of like a pleasure Island from Pinocchio. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and there's, Oh, there's a direct, I mean, I'll be honest. There's a direct ripoff homage reference to, we'll go with homage. Let's go homage. Homage to, to those kids like then turning into donkeys. And it's sort of, it's a play on the on the ultra moralistic fairy tales of like, oh, you should be a good kid, um, and I kind of liked playing in that sandbox of, you know, messing with that with what you know to be a good kid and what makes a good kid, and and you know, long time ago you would have been punished for having too much fun, but now you're sort of rewarded for it, and you're you're more rewarded for being a a bit of a hero who is a bad, who is like considered the bad kid who goes against the grain. So yeah, I had a great time writing insane roller coaster rides that these kids go on and, you know, eating junk food that turns them into monsters. And it was, it was, it was a, it was a really, really fun ride because I think at this stage it's like, it's book three, man, you know, let's, let's get nuts. You know, we kind of get it. I kind of wanted to get them out of school and just, out of um, the normal world that they were on and take them on just a crazy, crazy uh, trip to dismal land. Now, now I do have, I do have a question along the same lines of, of what you just talked about being that you're venturing back into the babysitter's world for a third installment and your characters are essentially fairly established. Um, Do you find it easier to write sequels with characters actually being established as to creating new characters completely. And the challenging part is just figuring out the story that you want to tell with these characters because Mm -hmm. you already kind of know how they're going to react. Or is it just kind of like brand new every time? It's hard because you do have to mature these characters incrementally. Now Um, when you do a one-off, when you just do a movie, you're like, Oh, that character started off selfish and now they're selfless. Well, now where does selfless lead to and what's the interesting variation of that? Um, So it is is a little bit difficult. And this time we find – I think we find Kelly more at a moment of crisis of, you know, really taking on more than she can actually do um, and see if she can actually pull this thing off. And that's why the internet trolls are there to – you know, maybe try to drag her down and try to disrupt her her confidence that she has at the end of book two. Because you really do have to kind of challenge challenge the characters again and again. Because, I don't know, people are complicated and we're, you know, as much as we learn a great lesson, we'll still screw things up and still mess up and still uh, maybe make a bad decision. And I wanted, to, I wanted them to make some real bad decisions in this one too. Excellent. This is great being able to see you guys. 
This is so much it more It really fun. does kind of add something I'm to sorry it, you it? can't see me. I don't know what's going on there. Well, Jimmy, I always imagined you as a gigantic eye with a red line through it, so. <laughs> I, just, I just sit very still. So, I-, I wanted to hang around on the book. Jimmy, did you have any other book-related questions? Greg's like, I've read three chapters. You've really blown through these <laughs> chapters for me. I don't know where else we could possibly go with this book. I'm very how, busy. How, did, how did it read this time? I mean, as someone who's, you know, been in this world, I mean, did it read quick? Did it read slow? Any criticisms? What do you think? It read very quick. Um, I legitimately had about half of it left when I got on the plane from, oh, oh God, I can go into a whole story about what happened there. But we got to Heathrow and our flight was canceled. Right. So we had to take a bus to Gatwick. And oh. I, uh, I, I, I kept it in my carry on and I said, you know, I'm going to try and finish this as much as I can and, or, you know, get as much done as I could. And before half the flight was over, I was, I was done with the last half of the book. Um, this time around it read, I think even faster. Yeah. It's a, it's a, this one's, a, this one's a little quick. Yeah. Cause it is just yeah. like a roller coaster ride. Uh, it, it absolutely yeah. was a roller coaster ride. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Sorry about your, sorry. Yeah. Your travel plans. Oh, it was, it was awful. No, I, I certainly enjoyed your, the descriptions of the rides and even with, and I'm kind of scrambling around to find the book, but uh, the character that you mentioned who was, who did eat the junk food. Oh yeah. Hudson who gets transformed. He himself turned. Um, And though he, he was a bad kid. It, it took, uh, you know, air quotes, bad kid. Um, it, it took that to happen to him for him to have his heroic moment. Yeah. Now, without spoiling too much, um, I, I was very anxious to see what happened to, to Kevin, um, in particular and, and some of the, the other characters love Kevin. Love me some Kevin. Big Kevin fan. Yeah. Um, But to see where they ended up. And uh, I, reading the afterword, Uh uh, maybe you you and I could could mute these guys or something, but I'm I'm very excited to see what happens next. In that world, I I eat these things up. Greg took his headphones off. Nice. Uh, I, I just read a, a quote, uh, I think, from the school library journal that said it was a step up, step up from R.L. Stein. How does that make you feel? In your face, R.L. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, R.L. Uh, I'm coming for you, bro. I'm coming for you. You mad, Let's bro? Go, R.L. You mad? Oh, oh, oh. RL, RL, you better look out. Better watch your back, son. Um, RL's Joining side. us right now is. Oh RL's my God! Side. Surprise! <laughs> what everybody talking about? <laughs> Fear Factor Part Twenty Nine. I mean, that guy is that guy is amazing. That guy's he's like a cyborg. He's incredible. How much stuff he turns out, how, and how great it is. How much fun it is. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. RL, I love you. I love you. Yeah. My my deepest my deepest love for you, my friend. I don't know the guy. What 
You know what, though? It's nice when you make it sound like, you know what, RL, he's a wonderful guy. He's terrific. (laughs) He's a terrific author. You know, we go way back ever since I read uh, My Slime, My Mommy. You know, it was a terrific one. Or My Dad, My Werewolf. I love that one. My Brother, The Vampire. Those are terrific books. Those are terrific books. What was the werewolf? We're totally going to tag him on this Something. Dude, I mean, by the way, if R.L. Stein listens to this, that would be amazing. That would be the coolest thing ever. If he got pissed off, too. That would be ridiculous, but <laughs> just he's posting pictures on his Instagram of um, him burning your books. This is Joe Ballerini hack. I think R.L. Stein, R.L. Stein would be totally fine with. He knows he knows it's all in jest. He knows it's all yeah. in love. So, the title of the episode: Joe Ballerini wants to fight R.L. Stein. Well, yeah. To, I mean, as much clickbait as we can get, guys. Let's get as many clicks yeah. on this thing as possible. <laughs> Joe Ballerini bites R.L. Stein's cheek, <laughs> or pulls a pulls a camel lady on him. Joe pulls a camel lady. What's a camel lady? <laughs> what? The the Florida lady who bit the camel on the testicles because oh, yeah. it sat on her. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only oh, in our state. Oh, that camel lady. Right? Yes. She was wearing animal print spandex. <laughs> I've got a Lego of her somewhere here. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> should we excellent. jump over to the, the Netflix questions? Yes, please. Yeah, before Greg gets too excited. Oh, now, about these will actually get me in trouble. R.L. Stein, I'm not worried about. Netflix, well, they're actually they're actually my bosses. So yeah, I'm not I'm not messing around with these guys. Netflix, love them. I'm asking very simple questions about Subscribe this. Subscribe to Netflix. Yes. Oh, we all have. We we all love Netflix. They so, how great. has the Netflix process been? Has it been? Is it was it kind of a cool learning experience? What's it been like? It's been it's Are been pretty amazing because they're um, they're so helpful and so hands on, um, and such an incredible team that just is there every single step of the way to help you bring it to life. I think the old myth of Netflix was they just, you know, give you money and go, Oh, go make your movie on your own. Good luck. But they've really become such a major, major powerhouse. If not like the most, I think powerful studio there is now um, that they know how to make an amazing movie and will help you create your vision um, every single step of the way. So yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty unbelievable. So what was the Netflix process like? Did you have any sort of input into casting when the cast came out? Were you excited about the people that were cast? And yeah, I was extremely excited about Tamara smart who got cast as Kelly. She captures Kelly's quirks and comedy, but also that sort of fearlessness. And uh, she's just sort of like, it's pretty awesome to watch Tamara act because she's just, uh, it's like watching a little movie star up on screen. You're like, yep, that's a movie star. There you go. Uh, can't wait for you guys to see the next, you know, big thing. And, uh, Una Lawrence who plays Liz is pretty spectacular. She just nails Liz's tone that comedy and sarcasm and sharp wit. Um, and she's just like, a little badass uh, and the two of them together just play off of each other so well. They're a great um, sort of little mini buddy cop duo. 
they're fantastic. So I can't wait for can't wait for the world to see the two of them just come to life. It's pretty awesome. So, so what can you tell us about Tom Felton? Uh, not much. Not much. But he's 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 a he's a wonderful thespian, and just I heard he's actually a good dude. Just rips it up. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. He's, really he's in Orlando guy. all the time. He's so a fan- is he really? He's a he's a um, he's a fantastic singer, hell of a dancer, and just a just a gentleman and a dog lover. Awesome. And he's he's just he's down to he's such a pro. I mean, this is a guy who's been doing it since he was super young, and just knows how to bring it. And it's just awesome to watch such a, a professional like that just tear it up. He's 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 incredible. Can't wait for people to see him. Nice. Now, did you get to have any creative input? Is there any like writer's notes that they contacted you for or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I wrote the screenplay. I adapted the screenplay for the movie. And yeah, so that's been fantastic. And I've been watching dailies every single day. And I I was up on set for a few weeks and um, it was, it was pretty incredible to be able to be up there, but mostly we have uh, a, an incredible team up there. I mean, starting with our director, Rachel Talalay, who is um, sort of the br- brilliant visionary behind translating the book to screen and really putting it through her filter. So what you will see on screen is a little bit different from the book, and it's very much the Rachel Talalay vision of the babysitter's world. Uh, also... Um, Ivan Reitman's vision of the babysitter's world as well. Holy I shit. Sorry, yeah. I just realized that Rachel Talley did Freddy's Dead. She did Freddy's Dead. She did Tank Girl. She did Riverdale. She did Doctor One of my Who. very first days to that movie. Freshman year of high school. It was Freddy's Dead? Really? It was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, she produced a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Streets and then she got to then she got to direct Freddy's Dead. Which is a pretty pretty fun that's a pretty funny Freddy movie. I think that's the funniest of the Freddy movies. Um, unless you're like a 10 year old and then it's, you know, the most horrifying of the Freddy movies or they're all horrifying. Yeah. None of them are actually very funny. If you're, if you're a child, um, how'd that date go? Uh, it was a friendly date. You, you know, her <laughs> hilarious last name. What's her last name? I'm writing it down. <laughs> I'm spelling, spelling it poorly. Wait, hold on. Focus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a wonderful time. Great. Mm, Freddie's dead. <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah, it was pretty awesome to go up there and, and see uh, Rachel do her thing and um, and just to be able to watch it come to life. It's pretty It's pretty incredible. To see it all come to life. Uh, but as far as, you know, hey man, I wrote the book, I wrote the screenplay. You want some alts, you want some dialogue, you want some, you know, few tweaks, few notes, I'm your guy. But in terms of, you know, toady design and, you know, what the Grand Guignol's lair may look like, that's really up to uh, the great production designer, the director, and the producers. So at some point you kind of have to just let it let it go off. 
And I, and I guess uh, no release date yet. I think the release. I, I'm I'm I think we're shooting for next Halloween. So, guess what? We all have a date next wow. Halloween. We'll all watch the movie together on the podcast. Hell yeah! That'd be that'd be awesome. Actually, yeah, it's gonna be great. Maybe we'll have our our live situation squared away. What? Oh yeah, I think by then you will. Yeah, that'll be yeah. There'll be zero issue then. Live podcast of the movie. That'd Wait, but then like you'll be, just be watching the movie, and they'll be like, "Oh, that's good." Oh yeah. Okay. Eventually, I'm going to put an inflatable screen next to the pool. I want to do that. Yeah, float around in the pool and watch like Jaws and stuff. That'll yeah. happen eventually. So I don't get why people would watch Jaws. I mean, I get it, but like the, I was so terrified of that movie as a kid. I'm still I can't go in my pool without like looking over my shoulder. Like, I don't get why people, like, go to a water park and go, like, let's all watch Jaws. Like, that's, like, next level crazy to me. That's next level horror. Mm-hmm. You know? That's, Letting like... your feet dangle there in the water as the shark is on the screen jumping up. Pretty no cool. way, dude. Not <laughs> a chance. Not a chance. I think we have our segue here. With, we're talking about monster movies. I th- should we segue into Monster Squad? Let's always. Let's always I, segue into I Monster think Squad. we should. Because this is one that we've talked about on the podcast multiple times, but haven't officially done it, I don't believe. Let's do it official. Yes. This so, is, go for Monster it. Squad. Uh, what year was it released? Because I did not. 87. 1987. 1987, directed by Fred Decker. Writing credits, Shane Black and Fred Decker. Another mm-hmm. Fred Decker movie. What do yes. I know the name Shane Black from? Iron Man 3. Lethal, no, stop. And lethal Weapon. Uh, lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon 2. And, well, lethal, uh, he didn't write lethal we- the official Lethal Weapon 2. Then, Last Boy Scout. Oh, and, a great movie. Oh, bro. And he also did a production polish of The Predator. He's in The Predator. He's the one who tells the uh, the joke in the very beginning. Um, he's, they actually were like, oh, we can't get Shane to do a production rewrite. The only way we can mm-hmm. get Shane to work on the movie is to put him in the movie. So he's the guy in the big glasses in the beginning of Predator. Nice. Uh, so they were like, yeah, you know, we'll get him to do a pass if we just put him in the movie. That's how we'll get him down here to the jungle. Um, yeah, Shane Black is, he's the stuff of Hollywood legend. Long Kiss yeah. Night. Mm. I Excellent. mean, uh, Hawkins. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, uh, bang. Kiss, kiss, yeah, bang, nice bang, guys. Oh, yeah, the nice guys. That's, that's so good. That's a good one, too. So um, good. Yeah, old Shane Black is just, he's a legend. He's a legend, man. And it's interesting that he got brought on because I think Fred Decker had a draft with Peter Hyams producing, and they somehow got Shane Black to do a quick polish of it. And so Shane Black brought in a lot of that great hard-boiled cop dialogue. So like, you know, Sean's dad, Mm -hmm. you know, being like a really just a grumpy-ass cop who's just yelling at his wife and he's maybe going to get a divorce. And like in the next room, he's like, I was a – you knew I was a cop when you bought the – when you signed the contract, honey. You know, like all that great like – angsty cop dialogue that's just all shane black stuff man it's just terrific and so shane black really sort of edged it up and i think 
pushed the envelope to make it probably more, probably darker than it was, but then it just turned out perfect. You know, it turns out to be a perfect movie. He does some, yeah, just, he does some interesting stuff. Shane Black that like sometimes people absolutely love it. And sometimes people, I don't think get it mm-hmm. like, like last action hero being one of those where it's a, that's, a big risk on a summer movie that basically mocks summer movies. Yeah, but okay, so Last Action Hero, that was him doing a polish on that thing. That was really a guy named Zach Penn. That was Zach Penn's first thing that he ever sold. And Uh that was a really big mock of the the action hero genre. But Mm -hmm. Shane Black, I think he was, you know, called in to do the the polish of it but then it obviously got him be being rewritten but i don't think that was like shane black's that wasn't his original concept okay but it was like oh let's get the guy who writes the best of these actual serious let's get the guy whose movies we are making fun of to write these movies to write this movie i picture you and like all the other screenwriters in hollywood just sitting around on leather chairs smoking pipes just just we do this all day long and it's the best thing ever it's just like this retro you know retconning screenplays and movies it's 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 really fun and yeah and also you know you just do yeah you just i don't know when you when you live it this much you just sort of like this is all i got man that's why i'm on this podcast is to say all this stuff because this is it i can't i can't put an ikea table together to save my life <laughs> but oh boy, you want to get your Shane Black history right here? <sighs> That's amazing. So, Monster Squad. It's we talked briefly earlier about the fact that it didn't do very well, right, um, in the theater. But in watching it again, it was an insanely enjoyable movie. It and really I, was. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen it a bunch of times, and I always just kind of forget how enjoyable it is. You know, there's there's a bunch of sequences. I'm like, oh, that was from that movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the it's not the most fun part of the movie, but particularly when the the kids are worried about the old the old guy and they go to his house and old Jewish guy, horror, yeah. Man. yeah, and scary well, German scary guy, German guy, scary German guy. Yeah. yeah, and then you at the end, there's like he makes that comment about monsters, and they kind of pan in on the the Nazi tattoo on his arm, and you you kind of forget that the eighties yeah. were a lot closer to the Holocaust. Mm. Yeah. You know, I yeah. always think the eighties movies as being a, a lot entrenched in Vietnam because of platoon and mm-hmm. a lot of references to people that were not quite right after Vietnam. But that scene was really, really heartbreaking. And it, mm. I love that character. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you go, well, it's such a brilliant turn to go from scary German guy because everyone would have thought, Oh, scary German guy's a Nazi, but instead he actually, and he starts the scene by going, I will only ask you this one more time when he's got that pie. He slicer. got, the, he got the big knife. It looks mm-hmm. like blood. Time and then, is almost up. Time is who wants more pie. It's such a great scene. And then by the end of that scene, when he closes the door and says, I know a thing or two about monsters. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. That is not a kid's film anymore. No. You know, looking back as an adult, I mean, I wonder if you took your kid to see that movie now, you'd be like, what the, what? You can't do that to me in the middle of a kid's movie. 
but that's I, I I just think that's I think that's probably the uh, the influence of maybe Fred Decker and Shane Black just getting together and just pushing the envelope that much more. Of they, what they lived together when this was written, I think. Did they live together? I think so. Either they were, yeah. I think because Fred Decker wrote Night of the Creeps. Yep. At the same time that Shane Black was writing this. And there's some there's some crossover jokes. No, I think Fred I thought I always thought Fred Decker wrote the first draft of this. I always thought he was the one who had the crazy concept of, oh, I want to do, you know, a movie about kids and the original Universal monsters. And then somehow Shane Black came in. Oh gosh, we gotta watch that documentary. I can't find it. I tried. <laughs> Wolfman's got Nards. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You can order it directly from them, but I knew it wouldn't be here in time. So yeah, Night of the Creeps. So Fred Decker did write Night of the Creeps and Monster Squad, and it did have a crossover joke, the the dead just don't get up and walk away joke where they cut away to the dead walking away. Mm-hmm. Um, come on. That's terrific. That's just that doesn't get any better than that. I just remember being a, a, a little kid and that trailer coming on, and the on the TV. And I think we had, my friend had like a little brother, and he like blocked his eyes during the trailer. He was like, "No, no, no, you can't watch this." Just even the trailer alone was like, "This is a little too hardcore for you." I just, just shot. I just, just remember the we're the Monster Squad. We're the Monster Squad, and I mean you've just got like you know. Kids with guns, my you know, fat kid, you know, who pumps the shotgun. Like my name is Horace, and you're like, dude, you could not do that anymore. You, you know, you could. Well, they couldn't refer to him as fat kid for the whole movie anymore. It's fat kid, dude. I mean, for the whole movie, everybody called him fat kid. Yeah, and he's just like, all right, yeah, okay, you, you know, good point, good point, good point. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty messed up that they call him Fat Kid the whole movie, actually. Yeah, like and then, and, and then, well, by the way, Fat Kid does go crazy and fucking blow some people away. He he does, them. but like in the first like because I, I there were a couple of things I didn't remember um, mm. as I was watching through this, and you know, like within like the first five minutes or so of the movie, they've started calling him Fat Kid and Faggot, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. oh my <laughs> yeah. god, that was that. I was wondering if I should watch it with my kid, and then it wasn't the fat kid part. But yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I forgot that that was a lot more prevalent. Back yeah. Then. Oh, yeah, back in the day, dude, that F-bomb was was very different. That was a mm-hmm. very different F-bomb back in the day, mm-hmm. and you're just sort of very comfortable with it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of not... Not okay anymore. Not cool. Not cool. I guess I'm bringing everyone down here talking about the Holocaust and all that other stuff. But the actor that played fat kid, Brent Chalum, he did tragically die of pneumonia in 1997. Oh no. He did. He was, he had finally found himself. I think he was very close to becoming like a partner in a law firm and he wasn't, and he died of pneumonia. Oh wow. Yes. I suck by the way. I'm bringing it. Just, you know, happy Halloween, everybody. Yes. But he was awesome. These are the facts. But there, there were a couple of things that I caught on on this watch through that I that I was like, okay, I I, I didn't pick up on that the first time around. Um, like in the very beginning of the movie, when Van Helsing and his and his cronies like storm Dracula's castle or whatever, mm. the girl is yelling in German, and Van Helsing is yelling at everybody in English. 
And I'm like, and it, and I didn't catch on to it like the first couple of times I thought, but this last time I watched it, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> he's yelling in English and everybody else is talking German. And it's like, we couldn't have just gotten like some subtitles or something. I Kids don't read subtitles. It, well, yeah. Yeah. But I just thought it was weird. I, I, I found it amusing. But then German, German sounds really scary and you don't want the hero sounding scary. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And is Van, is Van Helsing German? I think so. I believe so. Yes. Okay. But Greek. One of, He's Greek. Uh, one of the other things that I that I noticed and Helsing of Mykonos. Yes, <laughs> exactly. One of the other things that I noticed that I thought was kind of funny was the the two pilots who are flying Dracula and Frankenstein. Like, oh yeah, over those the, are great. They've got cargo in the back of the plane. They've got a giant body shaped box that is actually labeled Frankenstein. Yep, and nobody thought twice about this. <laughs> what? What is going on with these cargo guys? Where are they flying it to? I don't know. (laughs) That's the thing. They're just flying it. To the random small town that the movie is set in. Exactly. Right by the treehouse. But we had a couple of callbacks because the the, uh, pilot actually, one of the pilots of that plane was in a movie that we watched recently as well as part of our 80s uh, throwback summer the he was the 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 head goon from UHF. Oh yeah. Is one of those guys Gary Cole? One of those one of those actors Gary Cole. I just yeah, yeah. I got I'm going to look at look up and see if that's Gary Cole for sure might be. All right, keep going. And then there were a couple of things. I was like all of a sudden the uh the the cool kid who rides a bike by the way is uh oh, yeah. Totally like befriends Horace for what reason? He, he, he's like, hey, that's my I actually friend. I kind of like that. Yeah, you all know it was it was it was great for the story, but I was like, just that kind of random. He just kind of rides up and he's like, hey, that's my buddy. I was like, it's my buddy. Okay, that works. My buddy, Horace. Rudy's the best. That's Rudy is actually uh, Liz is based on Rudy in the really? books Babysitter's Guide. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like a cool badass who rides up out of nowhere, kind of like a gunslinger and just sort of like owns everybody. Nice. Well, and also you're talking about it's a very like 50s era icon that Rudy is. He's like the badass greaser in like a leather jacket mm-hmm. and like peg jeans and a and he's smoking a cigarette, which is awesome. Uh, but it's just like, oh, yeah, you're you look like Danny Zuko from Greece. Nowadays, you know, uh, it just that would you'd be like, wait, what are you dressed up as? But back in the eighties, you're like, oh, you're like a cool fifties guy, mm-hmm. and I guess that was cool back then. You and know, pony boy. Po- yeah, it, it was definitely an outsiders or rumblefish reference for sure. And I loved the uh, the philosophical discussions that that the main character and his fr- oh, what was the other kid's name. I want to say Daniel, but I don't know that that's right. But the two of them were having the the deep right. philosophical conversation about Wolfman and various other yeah. monsters, and and why Wolfman had to wear pants so that you wouldn't see his wolf dork. His wolf, wolf dork. dork. <laughs> his wolf dork. It was it was movies back. They couldn't show it back then because then you'd see his wolf dork. So he had to wear pants, and I was like, oh, okay. And his then they used dork. it again when they asked 
his sister. Yeah, have you or have you not been? She'd been dorked. <laughs> been dorked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I used that verb for like five years after that. Uh, I'm going to start. Now, did any of us actually see this movie in the theater? I did not. I was I three. Did. Yeah, I, I want to say I did, yes. I did. I remember being too young. Two weeks. That was it. Terrified. It was only in the theater for two weeks? Yep. Wow. Jeez, that is rough. Probably because they were like, wait, what have we unleashed upon the world? What just yeah, happened? I was just dorking everybody ever. Yeah. Now, <laughs> one of the things I really like about this uh, movie is just the, the love of other horror movies. Obviously, the, the classic Universal Monsters, even though they... They did change them all enough. Mm-hmm. They didn't get sued like a lot, so like they lost Dracula's like Widow's Peak, right? And what was it? Uh, they moved uh, Frankenstein's neck bolts up to his temples. Oh, that was that was how they avoided getting sued. Yeah, and mm. and the funny thing about that is is this Dracula, in my opinion, is one of the best looking Draculas. I love. Yeah. Love the yeah. look of this Dracula, and to me, this epitomizes like what the classic Dracula looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's got a great look. I mean, Stan Winston did, didn't Stan Stan Winston yeah. do yeah. the um, creature in the Black Lagoon? I mean, that creature—that's the best guy in a rubber suit monster there is. Mm-hmm. Like, he looks terrific, man. And the Wolfman transition is so terrifying yes. when he's like hitting up foam and everything and he's saying oh he's gonna kill your son i mean that's just and they like I think for him, they his ears to avoid being sued do they, they kept the oh uh, yeah because he's got a good like wolf foxy demonic look about him which mm-hmm. is actually very terrifying man mm-hmm. and and i i i have to say that the the buddy cop his partner is kind of yeah. a dick <laughs> He's really kind of oh, yeah. a dick. Like the way he the way he talks to witnesses and the way he talks to his partner. I mean, I know he's doing it in a joking manner, but he's kind of a tool. He's yeah, he's he's a real non believer, that guy. Not not cool. But like the way that he was when he was interrogating the museum guard after the mummy walked off. Yeah. Really, just rip it into. Yeah, him. I was like, man, no. this guy's a jerk. <laughs> Not a very good cop. I want to talk a little bit about the actors because I think I for for kid actors, they did a lot of. There was a lot of really good acting in here. There's a few uh, people that were almost in this movie. I'm not sure if you knew this, but Liam ne- Liam Neeson Ooh, almost was, all, was he almost Dracula or the dad? Uh, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure. He was paid for a part. He was just getting up up and started. He was paid for a part, but never actually shot that part. Um, Dustin Diamond actually did film his role. Dustin Diamond, Screech. Also, guy that came to our high school and told us not to do drugs at one point. He did a rap. He did a rap for us. He did. And he sang Gin and Juice. Right before getting arrested for doing drugs. Yeah. Oh, Oh, Dustin. Which I'm guessing he was was actually doing that because he got arrested for doing drugs. Yeah, and you then, gotta think. You're like, you didn't do this voluntarily. Like, no, there's no way. There had to be like an under the table. Like, yeah, there was like, uh, <laughs> as do this, you've got to do community service. <laughs> so weird. And he picked his community service based on where he could go get more drugs. Yeah, true. <laughs> where can I go? Somewhere near Miami. Hmm. Craig, let me stop you. Okay. I've made it as far as I could. 
I trust that you will do my picks in your best old Jewish guy voice. I will. I will. Okay. Rob, Rob, take care, Greg, take care. Joe, it was wonderful talking to you, sir. I'm snuggling up with you too, buddy. All right. Sorry, you can see my beautiful face this whole time. Sweet dreams. Happy Halloween, buddy. Pleasure talking. Yeah. Take care. Talk to you soon, man. I did. I'm I'm done. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> All right, guys. See ya. Stop the recording. About Dustin Diamond. Oh no, that's where that's that's in that's in the podcast. Yeah, leave it in there. The the little girl, uh, Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, the actress's She's name so is Ashley Bank, and yeah. apparently she, she turned her role in Fatal Attraction to play for this, which is kind of interesting. But the story, and I had heard the story before, but I forgot about it. But at the one point when Dracula like picks her up and like has to like hiss and scare her, right? She had no idea that he was going to be have red eyes. Oh my god, that's horrifying, dude. That's wow. horrifying. When he kind of picks her up by the chin and looks at her and does that, that scream is one hundred percent real. Well, like also he goes, "Give me the amulet, you bitch." I mean, yeah. like, really, you're just like, dude, like bring it down a little bit, dude. Like you don't need that. You just don't like, that's just like, that's a little, you got to read the room on that one, bro. And like, you just, you guys went too far. That's why, you know, like there's just certain things in there that they're like, they could have just toned it down, but they're like, nah, 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 dude, this is going to be great. Cause like everyone wants to say this to a little girl and you're like, dude, take it easy guys. I love that. Like nobody was like, is this, is this too much for kids? And like, no, 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 it'll be fine. It's this good. Is, this is real kids. Yeah, it is something. I think that this is probably a movie made before anybody who made it had actual children. And then once you have children, it just ruins making kids entertainment for you because all you can think about is like, oh, God, well, that would just horrify my child. Mm-hmm. You know, did we talk about this? That like, you know, you watch it, the movie, the uh, the first chapter and when that kid gets his arm ripped off and you and you're like man i got a kid this is weird i don't know if i want to even watch any of this but as a teenager or you know 20 something you're like this is awesome dude i'm like a scared kid this is great and then once you have kids you're like oh man i can't we I can't, can't we can't watch that yeah yeah you're like mm, i'm good i don't really like like scary kid movies i don't get I don't get people being super afraid of little kids. Uh, okay, like I mean, I'm 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 children in the corner in the situation. Or just yeah, like you know, ooh Eli, like Eli is gonna come and kill everybody, and you're like, I don't know. Or you're just like you're just gonna want to take a nap all the time, but I don't think he's gonna come and kill you. I'm more worried about the adults, anyways. Yeah, that's a diversion about. Why children ruin horror films? <laughs> for the, for what a, uh, I was gonna say, what about Chucky? He's kind of a kid, but he's not really a kid. He's a doll. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I, doll. I would appreciate Chucky because at least you're like, I hate certain toys that my kid has because they make so much noise. So I get that that you're like, that's a murderous child's toy. Have you had that happen late Touché. at night? One of the toys will like oh, start yeah. in the living room. You're like, yeah, it's just like a weird weird like yeah just a weird buzz or thing grinding you're just like what is that what is that yeah that's the that's the worst 
one of the things this movie did, I think, and you mentioned it with the Dracula character, is it didn't dumb down the villains. Like a lot of times no. you watch some action movie, adventure movie with a kid yep. involved, the villains are always dumber than the kids. Yep. Yeah, they're, they didn't do any slapstick. They didn't do any, oh, let's like give them some jokes to soften them. Like Like that moment when he grabs that little girl, that's terrifying. You're like, oh, dude, that's not like, this is not going to end well for the monster squad. Like you are straight up going against pure evil there. And I mean, that's very, very scary. Yeah. But I will say they did add some comedy because one of my favorite monster kills, there were actually two of them in this movie that I absolutely loved. But one of my favorite monster kills was the mummy Mm -hmm. because that was hilarious. How they, how they, they attach his bandage to an arrow and then just shoot it and then just kind of unwind the mummy and he turns to dust. I was like, that is brilliant. It's so well done the way it like unwinds in his, the shape of his body. He's he's got that little face though. Yeah. As he he starts to unravel. Yeah. But that's like, that's, I mean, and then, you know, you get Frankenstein, like a warm hearted moment with, I mean, you give him that, but like, Mostly that Wolfman is not funny. It it is funny when they kick him in the nuts, but he's genuinely like it's yeah, that's the kids being kids and thinking, oh, that's like a thing to do. And it's, they kick him in the nards. And they nards, not the nuts. Sorry. Yeah. That well that's nard. that's that is the line that I remember from that movie. It's it's Wolfman's got nards. Kick him in the Think with the line everyone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That is like the line from that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty. It's a pretty definitive line. I wonder where that falls on the list of top one hundred lines for movies because it could be up there. It's yeah. It's Chinatown Jake. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's your there's your top. You know, Yo Adrian, we did it. And then Wolfman's got Nards. Yeah. Oh, don't forget, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Wolfman's got Nards. That's definitely in the top. Thousand. Absolutely, absolutely. This was but the what first. Is... This was the first screenplay I ever read out in Hollywood when I was when I was a kid. I went to the film library and I looked up Monster Squad, and it's a ninety-six page masterpiece of a script. It's so good, excellent, excellent, it's so funny. That's like, smart. like a page about a page per minute of screen time. If you that, can, that if that you can get your hands on it, it is just like I gave it away mistakenly to a friend to be like, oh, this is how you should write a screenplay, because like. It just is super funny and sharp and just, I mean, it's the movie. It's so great. Yeah. And along in the same scene, cause I had forgotten about this too. In the same scene where the Wolfman's got nards thing happens, mm-hmm. Frankenstein shows up in the house and the house collapses. I'm not quite sure why the house collapses, but the house collapses and falls on top of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how cold blooded this kid was because because Horace is trying to help Frankenstein and he's like, just leave him, just leave him. And he's like, well, what if he's dead? And, and the kid, the lead kid is like, well, then he died to help us. I was like, damn. Yeah, dude, that's a mature, that's some mature, mature squ- monster squad level stuff right there, dude. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. These kids are dealing with stuff way beyond their, 
they're none of they're none of this leave no man behind crap. Screw him. He's 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 a murderer. Leave him. They died saving us. I mean, that kid is pretty hardcore. Damn, would you guys shut up? There's monsters coming around. I mean, that kid is like he's like a little he's a little leader, man. He's a little platoon uh-huh. leader. The I did just find all of the scripts. Every almost every Shane Black script is on uh, indiefilmhustle.com. Nice. So you can Google it on uh, Lethal Weapon, Monster Squad, Lethal Weapon 2, Last Boy Scout. Yeah, there's a great opening line. Kind of the, one, of the, uh, the opening lines, one of the opening lines of Monster Squad this is the opening line. Exterior European countryside. Ever been to Transylvania? Well, even if you haven't, it looks nothing like this creepy rotting landscape before us. That's because this is Transylvania circa Universal Pictures, 1931. You're like, that's just badass. You know, nice. mist shrouded mountains loom down on us until soon we discern a shape through the mist because atop one of those mountains is an ancient crumbling battlement with turret openings looking down on us like empty gaping eye sockets. Boys and girls, <laughs> welcome to Castle Dracula. You're like, I mean, that, they, they were just like, they were swinging for the fences, man. They was just like, that's great that, writing. Usually, that sounds like a book I would want to read. Yeah, usually you're just like, oh, exterior, Castle Dracula, mist, fog. Bats. Bats, you know, moving yeah. on. But, like, that was that was definitely, you know, that was Shane and Fred just really going for it. And and even even as far as the writing, there was also some really good, like, cinematography and some, some really excellent filming scenes ha- mm-hmm. happening. I didn't yeah. catch it the first time around, but I caught it this watch through. Um I didn't notice. Do you remember when the mom set up or to to get Phoebe to go to sleep? She brought in the candle and lit the candle. And as long as this candle is lit, nothing bad can happen to you. Mm. And later in the movie, there's a great shot that's only like two seconds long, but it's as Dracula's pulling up to the house, the candle mm. puffed out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, what a great callback. That was awesome. Cuz yeah. I didn't I didn't notice it the first couple of times and because you know, it's kind of in the fore the candle is kind of in the foreground. The mom is in the kitchen working and Dracula's pulling up and I think she kind of hears the squeal and you see the mom turn her head just after the candle snuffs out and I was like, "Oh, that was excellent. Very well mm. shot. I love that." Yeah, it's terror. Yeah, that's like, "Oh, that is a great moment, man." Yeah, there's, I mean, the, the cinematography of that was really great because it looks like an action film. And it was shot it by a guy named Bradford May, who I was like, oh, I mean, he did Night of the Creeps, but oh no, that was uh, Fred Decker. But like, he, I, I would have thought that he would have done, you know, like a lot of these like 80s action films because it looks like, it looks as good as Die Hard. It looks as good as Lethal Weapon. Did, you know? did anybody else think that their front yard looked an awful lot like the front yard where Mel Gibson and the other oh, guy yeah. had their fight in the, uh, in the, the water lot. or whatever. Yeah. It's a total back lot. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Back lot suburbs, man. It totally looked like, like the, uh, the yard where they had their, their fight. Yeah. Might have been. I mean, Gary, Peter, Gary Busey and Mel Gibson. Peter Hyams, who was the executive producer on this, he was, uh, all of his stuff. I think, I think I would probably credit him a lot with the look of the film too, because, he did 2010. Uh, he did, did he do, oh my God, Peter Himes is amazing. He was this awesome Australian filmmaker who did uh, Outland. I mean, just was sort of, you know, really his like, he did Time Cop. 
He's done like a lot nice. of really awesome badass action films uh, back in the day. Capricorn One, Outland, and just did those really great kind of um, foggy blue, you know, uh, telephoto looking looking movies that just you know kind of are the are the signature of those great eighties action films. So I would probably credit him with probably pushing them in the direction to really go more it's like it's a more mature look for what a kid's film looks like you know kids films usually look like very shadowless and very bright even if they're dark they're still going to be oh really fun but this looks like you could have just put adults in there and it would have it's not silly photography right you know? now greg wasn't there wasn't there a question or something you had about the the whole silver thing uh, it wasn't well it wasn't so much that it was just the one of the things that really stood out to me was just the montage in general. When they and were preparing for the fight? Preparing for the fight. And there was one little thing where they – and I, it's just something I like that I, I made notes of. That's why he saw it on my notes. But it was like they did the, the silver and then like immediately they cut away to the mom looking at the silver and wondering why it's all gone from the thing. Right. And all I could think about is the fact that like if I had melted down all my mo- – all of my mom's cellar, it would have been at least three years before she realized it. <laughs> it was, it was just a yeah. little like that mom was instantly having guests over. Yeah. It was like, I think in the script, they actually write that, that montage, it's like the top 40 hit monster squad single will play over this montage. Like they're, they knew, you know, cause I think ghostbusters was such an enormous hit mm-hmm. before. And the tag of this movie is, you know who to call when you have ghosts, who do you call when you have monsters? Like mm. it's amazing how self self referential that screenplay is. Like they even knew, oh, we're gonna have a montage, and then there's even gonna be a crazy song related to the movie in this montage. So let's. I mean, we're gonna do one question, then we'll do the question. The or, question. So the question we've been asking about all of these movies we've been watching these '80s and early '90s movies um, is: should they remake the movie? And this yeah. goes out to everyone. So you don't think remake or a sequel for that matter? I mean, I, I I would look if they remake Monster Squad, I'd love to remake it, but I don't think they should remake it. I'd have okay. a great time doing it. I've been re- dude, yeah, we did just remake Monster Squad. It's called Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, son. There you go. You there, know? there you go. There you Boom. go. Boom. Rob kind of is, yeah. I think this movie sits perfectly in the eighties, and to yeah. remake it, I don't. I, no, they they should not remake Monster Squad as we know it. it the, this is this is no. exactly where this movie belongs. Greg, my I read a lot about this, obviously, and one of the things they mentioned was just how insane the first draft of the script was about there being like horses and knights and this giant attack on Dracula and this huge sequence that they couldn't afford because it would have been more expensive than the whole movie. And I think now they could actually do that. I kind of want to see that, so I'm going to lean yes but only if the original people were involved. <laughs> and and so they substitute that giant attack with a bunch of cops pulling their guns, firing off like six rounds of bullets or six bullets into them that do absolutely nothing. And their first response is to draw their clubs and start trying to hit him. I'm, yeah, like, that's great. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you see, Um. you know, there's a great example. If you want to see, you know, knights and stuff like that, uh, the kid who would be king. You see that? That's a great movie. I didn't get a chance. There you go. Watch that movie. Leave Monster Squad alone, Greg. Exactly. (laughs) Friggin' Greg. Greg. Stupid Greg. Wait, hold on. (laughs) That's me.
Okay, so Monster Squad, closing out Monster Squad. Awesome movie, guys. Go out, see it. See it. It's uh, available on Amazon Prime, I think. I don't remember what mm-hmm. I watched it on. Yeah. Netflix? It's not available everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Google. And how okay. 80s was that final shot where Van Helsing gives Sean the thumbs up and Sean's like, gives him the thumbs up back, and yeah. then the movie ends. I was like, oh my we God. We did it. It's very Rambo 2 ending, yeah. Okay. So you're getting your, your top five question, Joe, and then you can go be with the family. Ready? Hit me. Give me five question. Bing, bing, bing. Top five properties you would love to write for. Top five prop top five properties. Yes. I would love to write for. So it can be remakes, can be sequels, can be a TV show where you write an episode. Your top five. And um, I will send this podcast to all of those people. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I would love to do anything in the uh, Universal Monster universe. One, I would love to do anything in the uh, Star Wars universe. Obviously. Done. Uh, I would love to do anything in the – oh, my gosh. That's it. Those are my big franchises. I don't know. I'm peaked out at franchises, dude. The Midnight Hour. Oh. The mi- oh, I would love to remake the Midnight Hour. Love to remake the Midnight Hour. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. Oh, I mean, the one that I really, really I, that I do think that I'm just I, I I would love to take my hand at is is the Goonies, obviously. But oh. to you know to pay major respect to the old, um, but along with the new, to really bring in the new, bring in the new kids as well. I think that would just be amazing to be able to do. Um, um, cause we do know a few of the guys from there. And so I just, I'm like, come on, man, we'll just raise some money. Let's just do it. Let's just do an independent movie of it. Um, that's, that's never going to happen. Um, and then the other one that I would love to do. I might hmm. have to fight you on that one though. Oh yeah. No, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're battling everybody. That's like a lose situation. You know, so the best thing to do is just make something original that feels a little bit like that, yes. you know? Um, and so people are like, oh, that's kind of like that. And you're like, yeah, 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 exactly. That's exactly what that's like. Goonies um, and Princess Bride are the two that I will just fight anybody over. Yeah, don't <laughs> straight, I don't, up, yeah. straight up Prin- throw fists. Yeah, Princess Bride doesn't need to be remade or anything like that. Um, let's see. Yeah, anything. Four. I'm at four. I'm at four. I'm at four. I'm at four. Hmm. Oh, I mean, I would just love to do a movie about Robin, just period. Just like the Robin Dick Grayson movie. Just like, but, you know, that's, I've always wanted to do that. I don't. Dick Grayson is your Robin? Yeah. Um, I would like to, I would like to do just like the OG version of that. Um, a kid becoming, you know, a superhero, I think would be pretty, pretty spectacular. Nice. And now okay. maybe you could do it as an independent film. And now that the Joker is a bazillion dollar moneymaker and there's like you know, zero big crazy set pieces in there. Yeah. Okay. So say goodbye out there to all of your fans. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thanks for having me on guys. You rock. They buy your book. Well, everywhere. Every, go to the store, buy books, buy, buy books. Guide books. book one, two, and three. And the day that the Netflix show comes out. Go online, rate it, review it. Five we'll stars. be, I will be talking, but we'll we'll talk yeah. then. We'll talk yeah. before then. Okay. Rah. And thanks for joining us. Good to thanks see you again, Joe. Guys.
Thanks for having me, fellas. I'm going to talk to you about Midnight Hour next time we see you. I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to call you. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, guys, we asked Joe his question. Now it is time for us to answer the Give Me Five question. And this question is based on the Dracula from Monster Squad winning – they're not really winning. The, the Wizard Magazine in the 90s, a comic book magazine, but it was a big comic book magazine, mm-hmm. did a thing of the top 100 villains of all time. And in the top 25, uh, Dracula from this movie, so the uh, Duncan Regger, I can't exactly pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Was picked as the Dracula. So it was not just Dracula in general. It was the Duncan Regger Dracula from Monster Squad was picked as the best, scariest villain Dracula, which I thought was pretty interesting. So that's where the question came from. Jimmy has the question, but remember, he did tell me to do the answer in his best old Jewish man. He did. So I got to brew up the old Jewish man. I'm going to uncomfortably button unbutton my shirt just a little bit more than it should be unbuttoned. There you go. That's making you uncomfortable there on camera. So, Not at all. There's this show on the TV. What we do in the shadows. I don't understand it. The vampire's not very scary. Dracula Ben Fransham. He's my number five. Max Schreck. He's German. I'm very nervous around the Germans. I've heard some things about them. Nosferatu. More scared of Germans than I am of vampires. Up next, Dracula dead and loving it, Leslie Nielsen. What kind of a sugar name is Leslie for a boy? No. I don't accept that. No. No. Number three, there's no one. (laughs) Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Number two. Now that is my Dracula. I was like, 47 when that Dracula movie came out. It was 1937. 2037? Something like that. And I saw it. I was with Ethel Goldschwartz. <laughs> I was trying to get my hand into her brazier, and Bela Lugosi scared us so much that it just popped right in. It was lovely. And my number one, because I am in fact an old man, Gary Oldman. From Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, beautiful book. And I love that I, Jimmy, was able to reference an old man. <laughs> Excellent work, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy, for giving us that lovely uh, review. Uh, I will. We also have a one, someone that wrote in one. Ooh. Uh, Mr. Jubals, our listener. Friend, compatriot. Friend of the five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his number five, I didn't write it down, but it is Blackula, which is the actor's name I don't know. But that reminds me, guys out there, if you have not, there's some references to Blackula in the um, I Am Dolomite movie that's on Netflix starring Eddie Murphy, which is fantastic. You guys should watch it immediately. And uh, we're going to probably talk about that next week. So that's number five. Christopher Lee dracula prince of darkness he was in a bunch of dracula movies i believe it was in the uh, 20s like 20 or some not in the 20s but there was 20 or so dracula movies so that's number four gerard butler in dracula 2000 which i forgot was a thing mm-hmm. but that's number three 
Gary Oldman. There is that Gary Oldman again in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And Leslie Nielsen, dead and loving it. Dracula dead and loving it, actually. I didn't type that right. But he that is Jubal's number one. Jubal's likes the comedy. Likes the comedy Draculas. Nice. Yeah. I've just talked a lot. Rob, what you got? I wanna I wanna say Chris Sarandon, but I don't think they ever actually state that he plays Dracula, and I don't think he actually plays Dracula in Friday Night. So I can't I can't include him. But I think at number five, I will I will throw in the classic Dracula, and that's gonna be Mr. Bella Lugosi. So I've gotta give Mr. Bella Lugosi some credit. At number four, I'm probably going to go Leslie Nielsen. Because you know I love the comedy. True, true. At number three, I'm... I know it's not a popular opinion, but I really liked uh, Luke Evans in Dracula Untold. Mm. And I know Dracula Untold didn't do very well and a lot of people didn't like it. But I like Luke. I liked Luke Evans in that role, and I thought he did a very good job. And how awesome was the the master vampire that made Luke Evans Dracula? Mm-hmm. I actually saw that movie at your house. Oh, did you really? <laughs> so, and that was the the master vampire was good old Tywin Lannister, and he's just ah. he's just great. He's so good. Mm-hmm. At number two. I got to give the nod to Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Nice. But my number one Dracula is, in fact, Mr. Duncan Raker. Wow. From Monster Squad. Because to me, he had the iconic look that I expect from Dracula. He had the presence that I expect. And he had the mentality and the aspect and the, he, he just portrayed him very well. I thought, so he's going to be my number little one. sexy, a little scary. Okay. Very composed, lost his cool once or twice, but it wasn't like horrendous and fair enough. I'm actually very shocked at, well, I guess Jimmy had him in there. Okay. So I'll go with mine here. Uh, my number five is your number one, Duncan Rigger, monster mm-hmm. squad. Everything that's been said. My number four, Gary Oldman. This was the Bram Stoker's Dracula. I remember seeing that in the theater. It was very, it was, a. there were some really cool things they did with shadows and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it was actually the first time I really saw the Dracula that was portrayed in the book. So I thought that was very interesting. It was kind of, and it was actually a big deal when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. There's like a mini vampire renaissance because of that and Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. Uh, so my number three, Christopher Lee, Horror of Dracula, uh, when actually went and you know, watched a little bit of that for the, before this, um, basically the, it really started make it revived the Gothic horror stuff that had kind of died after all the universal monsters kind of became a little less popular and he became really famous in England and here, uh, Bela Lugosi, number two. Okay. Uh, which he is actually really the reason why we think that Dracula talks like blah, blah, blah. I do not say blah, blah, blah. Oh, I totally could have included Adam Sandler. I don't say blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's, that's number two. My number one, the Nosferatu is technically Dracula. They didn't have the rights back then, and that actually mattered back then because it was mm-hmm. still copywritten. But 
he was Dracula for all intents and purposes. Uh, and he was terrifying. He, his body was so contorted. There weren't really special effects back then other than cutting the camera and then turning it on again and having him disappear, things like that. Um, just, it was a scary, scary Dracula. It was a movie I used to watch every year around Halloween. It was terrifying. You could, I bought it for 99 cents a blockbuster, which isn't saying much, but Nosferatu was my like original terrifying Dracula. So I'll go with that one. Okay. Fair enough. So out there guys, let us know what your Dracula movie is or what your Dracula actor is. Uh, You can do that. Yeah. You can do that by finding us on Facebook Search for the Give Me Five podcast, five, F-I-V-E. Give Me Five pod at Twitter and Instagram. You can check us out there. You can check us, or you can email us directly, give me five podcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. And you can check out our super sweet logo shirts, uh, iPhone cases, all that stuff. Give me five podcast.threadless.com. Thank you in advance. And uh, Jimmy's going to pop back on here for a moment. He's going to say, good afternoon. Good night. I think there's an early bird special somewhere for me. Just wanted to thank Joe Ballerini for joining us on this Halloween episode of the Give Me Five podcast. Go out, pick up Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, book one, two, and three, and have a happy Halloween. four minutes he's in bed right now actually that's why we can't see him yeah with his human-sized pillow stroking his chest hairs Uh, (laughs) let's (laughs) i say ever angered is the director of black spring break (laughs) 2 that that was hilarious what did you guys get did you guys get added for for doing no, it was, it was a long time ago. I was talking about it was the last time that like there was a summer with a million sequels. It was like when Spider Man Two came out, like the original Spider Man Two. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was make I wrote like a thing, like a blog before blogs were a thing, about like all of the terrible movies and I that were sequels. And I was like, look, they even have black. The only one I'm really excited about is Black Spring Break Two. And somehow the guy was searching his name, and found me and sent me an email like talking about he was following his dream and I felt like a, I felt like an asshole <laughs> and like well, you know, he got well to be fair him. you didn't say you were excited about Black Spring Break too you kind of you kind of tore into it and, and and ripped it up and I don't think you had even seen it at that point you just saw who was in it and what it was about I was like what is this garbage oh, Greg. yeah I'm a bad person Greg